Hey, everybody. I'm thrilled to be here today with Tim Kilroy. He's got a super interesting story. He's the owner of Ecom Allies and uh, runs agency coaching at uh, timkilroy.com and just has a really fascinating story. So, Tim, welcome to the show. Super excited to be here. Thank you so much. So, Tim, it's, it's not often that I meet another person that admits to blowing up early businesses, but it sounds like you've had a rodeo of a time getting uh, different agency life going. So how'd you get into the agency space? Uh, completely accidentally. Um, so I was a victim of uh, the dot-com crash in 2001. Uh, I woke up on uh, January 2nd, 2001 uh, to not being able to get into my email at the tech company I was working at. And then later that afternoon, I got this really nice FedEx package saying, hey, you've been fired. Um, and it's just because there was no money left. Um, uh, and so, you know, from there, I had uh, some little kids and we had a mortgage to pay. And I thought, well, geez, I got to make some money. And since it was 2001 and nobody was hiring smart tech people, um, I thought, well, I need to have a job. And so I thought, okay, what do I know how to do? I had worked in, uh, you know, marketing services. So I was like, great, I'll just do that stuff. And I did that stuff. And so I started an agency, it was just me. And then it got bigger. And because I am much better looking than I am smart, um, you know, I kept on like piling work on top of me. And I, I didn't, I didn't, honestly realized that a business is not a hub and spoke solution. So I had to touch everything, like nothing could go forward without me. And like we're, and fast forward a couple of years, we're much bigger and like we're running out of cash because I can't get organized enough to send out the invoices. And I don't know who's paid and who hasn't paid because I didn't know that you, like I wasn't smart enough to get help. I just thought people knew this stuff. And then I would just figure it out. And, you know, eventually that, you know, after four years, that agency just imploded because, well, because I'm dumb, honestly, you know, that's it's still good looking, fortunately. So, you know, there's yeah, that. yeah, I mean, absolutely. So, but, you know, that really was the, you know, that was a huge, that was a huge lesson for me. Um, and I thought, you know, after that experience when, you know, we were in a serious financial hole and I, you know, had been working my like working like crazy for, you know, four years and killing myself and burnt out. And I just thought like I'm never going to be an entrepreneur again, ever, because that's like that's for crazy people. And then Truth. I tried being an employee, and I thought that's for crazy people. And I was like, well, I got like I I'm at this point I'm irreparably broken. I cannot work for somebody else. So I started another agency. I was a little bit older, a little bit smarter, and I was able to watch myself make mistakes and think, oh, 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 wait a minute. You did that before and that was bad. So go do the other thing. You know, the thing that your instinct told you not to do, do that. And that agency was more successful uh, over the course of a couple of years. Uh, we were able to scale it up and, and exit out to a much larger agency. And I stayed with the, that acquiring agency for quite a while. Um, and I learned so much there. Um, you know, and I realized it wasn't 
you know, that, that marketing agencies don't necessarily thrive on having the best marketers in them. They thrive on having people who really care, who are, who can learn quickly and be super adaptable because often you find the people who are sort of just like completely intuitive marketers, like they can't scale that. Like I'm on a, on a, like a personal scale, I'm a really good marketer. Like you throw me at any marketing problem and I'm going to come up with something that's probably creative, maybe a little bit funny and it'll probably work, but stretch me across 30 clients. And I'm like, Whoa, you know, I can't. And so what I learned was the fact that you really have to come up with a way of doing things. You know, you've got to have a point of view and then create teams and systems to make that point of view, the outcome, you know, rather than thinking that, you know, like it's our individual brilliance that make stuff happen because it isn't yeah. it's really yeah. about thinking this is the way the world works i'm going to create a machine that creates output that you know that is dependable and then you can get bigger but you know something that i always tell my clients is um it's not your job as the founder or ceo or head person to make happy clients it's your job to create teams and systems that create happy clients preach bro snaps for that and yeah, that's and and that's just, that's so hard to remember, especially when you're the one who started it, because most marketers have started, you know, agencies because they were good at something. So like, I know how to do this thing. So it's just way more efficient for me to do the SEO than, to, you know, whatever. Yeah. 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 You know, and the like the, the thing that kills every agency or the like the four deadly words, the uh, never mind, I'll do it. I guess <laughs> that's five words. Yeah, yeah. Contractions will count as four. Yeah, it sounds good. No, well, it's never mind one word or two. That's the thing that, that yeah. just tripped me out. I think it's anyway, yeah. Yeah. So I feel two. like I feel like, you know, you're hitting on something too, that there's some people that are wonderful consultants and they should stay consultants, right? Where they should yeah. be solopreneurs and they should have a very high hourly rate and they they shouldn't build an agency because they don't really like the agency life, right? They think they what they want is they want to work really closely on a few projects. Copywriters, I think, are a good example of this. Where they yeah, or designers or you know yeah designer, like, yeah even even folks who you know do do you know Facebook ads or search ads. I mean yeah yeah. There's some of them that like they their ideal thing is they're they're a hybrid employee right where they want to work deeply on one problem for a long time have three clients. Um, but I, and some of those folks we've talked to and they say oh yeah I'd like to come on your podcast and go well. Hey man, I don't mean to be a jerk, but you don't actually run an agency, right? Like you, you have a consulting business or, you know, you have a hybrid coaching business or whatever, but that, and there's nothing wrong with that model, right? It's a wonderful model, but it's uh, building an agency is about building that repeatability. Right? Yeah. You know, I think the, the, the biggest shock to most, um, early stage agency owners is that their job has nothing to do with marketing. Yeah. That's like, true. You know, like your job is to run the organization. And so, you know, basically you're a manager. And for most people, that's the last thing they ever wanted to be because managing people is really hard and it's like unnatural and it's complicated and it requires, you know, empathy and vision and focus and, you know, uh, the ability to 
do stuff that you don't want to do ever. You know, like, you know, talk to employees who's having a hard time when you're really thinking, oh, goodness gracious. Like, I, the fact yeah. that you never learned how to organize your time, like, I can't help you there. Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, I, you know, or you, or you get really defensive all the time. This isn't therapy, so I can't help you. But as a manager, you know, even you if that's what you want to say, you can't because you really need to, because they're, you know, that person is an asset in your organization and you need to, you know, respect who they are, respect their journey and find a way to make them successful with you because you're, you're not successful because of them. Like you are successful because you al allow them to be the best version of themselves. Yeah. And that's, that's, and that's what's so hard in management because normally you're just like, just do it. Like, come on. Like, it's so obvious what you should do. <laughs> it's true. And it doesn't, you know, I feel like it doesn't get that much easier. I read this book called The Motive by Patrick Lincioni. I don't know if you ever, ever I, I don't know that one. It's just, he's got a bunch of those fables, right? And his big, his shtick with the motive is uh, leadership isn't a privilege that, it's not a privileged position where you just like get your life to be easier. It's actually a lot harder. And if you're not coming at it to serve the people that, you know, your customers, people you're, that are working for you, whatever, you're going to, you're just going to hate it because that's what the job is, right? Like that, that's the yeah. whole summary of the job. But, right. Yeah. You know, and I think, um, uh, when I first started as an entrepreneur, as, as you know, my first, my first agency was accidental as, as I mentioned, but, um, but my, you know, my second agency, I was really thinking, well, I'm doing this because I can't work for somebody else. And then I realized like, oh, wait a minute. Instead of having one boss, now, now I have, you know, we at, at our biggest, I think we were like 17, 18 people. Um, and I was like, now I have 18 bosses. Like I, you know, and I'm the one who has to worry about them, you know, and, and help them. And so, but as I, as I matured through being, you know, uh, an agency owner and a boss, like I began to realize that that's, that's really hard, but it's also incredibly rewarding mm. you know, where, you're, where you're able to help people become more successful and, you know, sort of grow into their own strength and their own, you know, their own power. That's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, I think you're right. So you had agency number one, which, you know, dumpster fire or whatever you want to use. Yeah, yeah it, was very, like, it was like a slow burning dumpster fire <laughs> that turned into a raging inferno. You know, it was, yeah, it just hit critical awful. mass. It was exponential fire growth. Yeah, yeah like, totally. It, you know, it was awful. Uh, and then, and then we, uh, next uh, agency, a couple of years later, after I realized that being an employee was just not what I'm cut out for. Um, uh, we scaled that up and sold it to a much larger agency. Then I was I stayed with that larger agency for a couple of years um, until the golden handcuffs came off. And um, and then then I jumped into and then but then I still couldn't I couldn't go back to work for an agency. So I went client side for a while and I was the I was the CMO of a fashion company and I worked for Wayfair and, uh, you know, all that sort of stuff. And then the very minute I could, I started another agency because being an employee is not awesome. 
It's just not, it's just not me. That's real. Yeah. Um, um, and then, and you know, and then once and then we started that agency, scaled it up, we were doing stuff that was really hard. Um, and frankly, what we tried to chew off at the end was, was, um, was more than we were able to chew. You know, there was the, even, even in my second agency, as we were trying to develop some really seriously tech enabled services, um, I learned, I learned so much about what I don't know. Um, you know, and I realized that, you know, in this particular instance, we, we had a lot of technical folks on our team and I had to learn a completely different way to manage those folks than I did sort of the people who were you know, sort of account managers or the people that did creative, you know, and there's a different management style. So I, I managed to learn an awful lot there um, and then uh, went on to work at the acquiring agency for a year. And then, um, and then I, again, it was time for me to go because I'm just a bad employee. Sure. <laughs> and then I like, then I was like, I don't know what I want to do now. Cause I've already done the agency thing a couple of times. And a friend of mine, someone I've known since my, uh, since my, my second agency, she came to me and she said, you know, you seem to be able to do this agency thing pretty well. Um, my revenue has been stuck for the past five years at the same level. And five years ago, it was awesome. And now it's terrible. And, and I said, okay, well, let's see what we can do about that. And as soon as I started coaching her, like, you know, the sun came out and there were rainbows <laughs> and the bunnies were there, you know, the birds were chirping. And I was like, oh, oh this is what I'm supposed to do. And, um, you know, and after about five years of doing that, um, uh, I thought, you know, my time as, as, you know, my, my, my frame of reference for running an agency is getting a little bit dated. I mean, to tell you the truth that, uh, what I, or I thought it was getting a little bit dated. It isn't really, um, um, you know, because the, the things that did work still work. They just, they've just got different names and a little bit different tempo, but, um, but I bought an agency, um, called Ecom Allies. And, um, you know, right now we're about uh, 10 people uh, and we serve mostly Ecom marketers who are between say two and a half and $20 million across multiple paid media uh, uh, channels. That's awesome. Wow. I love the, I love the arc, right? Where you've started, crashed, sold, bought, coached. Like, I think that you're, I don't know who like that, maybe Nadal and Federer and like, yeah, you, you, there's some combination of people. Serena Williams all rolled up into one right, of, no, on the agency. No, no. I'm side. a terrible tennis player. So um. <laughs> that's a cool, that's a really cool journey though. I, I feel like we could, I bet a lot of people are curious about selling their agency. I bet a lot of people are curious yeah, about I, buying an agency. And um, uh, Yeah. The, and, and I must say that um, buying is way more fun than selling. That makes sense. During the process. Right. Buying, uh, if you're in a buy sell transaction, buying is the easy part. Selling yeah. is the hard part. Um, uh, but after the transaction, selling is way easier than buying because, you know, <laughs> as soon as you have bought something, you realize, like, oh, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. You know, they yeah. said this worked and it's really broken. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I've been looking at trying to buy another agency just as a bolt on, right? Where you're like, okay, well, this thing kind of runs itself. We just grow inorganically. And then I look at it, I'm like, you know, they've got all the same problems. 
or and I shouldn't say all the same problems, but like it, it's like the problems are the same everywhere and the solution's the same everywhere. You try a bunch of stuff, you see what works, like you try to be really methodical about it. But how did you approach buying the new agency, right? Because you had to triage it. How'd you decide what to work on first? Um, so, so, you know, it's still an active act of triage, right? So we're still, sure. you know, as, as we grow, we're still uncovering problems. You know, the, the big problems that we, that we handled first was the fact that, um, you know, there was an extraordinary amount of customer churn at the very beginning. Um, you know, for no other reason than people don't really like change. Right. And so there was some uncertainty. So anybody that was even like, you know, um, I go through the process of, of marking clients, you know, green, yellow, or red every month. Okay. Um, and so red means that you think they're going to churn, but you know, usually people who are yellow, you can generally speaking, if you pay attention to them, you can get, you can get them back into your good graces. Well, when you throw a bunch of uncertainty at people who are having any sort of doubt that the, you can't, or I found that it's really difficult to save them. And so the safest thing for most people is to, is, is to go look elsewhere. So every time that I have um, you know, purchased or every time I've been through a purchase, customers who seemed okay decided to leave afterwards. And it's not because suddenly things were worse than they were before. It's just that there was the fear of them being different. Yeah, that's real. And so for managing churn like that on a transaction, I, I've always wondered too, like what percentage of clients are going to churn off just because, like you said, there's, there's a little bit of uncertainty. And were you able to recover some of the clients or was it just like, hey, we got to uh, so, go out? So as a matter of fact, uh, the agency we purchased, um, uh, I think of say the 14 or 15 customers that were there over the course of a year, um, you know, 10 of them, 11 of them churned, um, oh, wow. and some churned on their own. Um, and that mostly happened at the beginning, you know, that was their action and the, the others, we, we helped them churn because they were, they were, they just weren't a right fit. Um, and I finally understood why the agency owner who was selling, he was selling because he was exhausted. And those customers helped me understand why he was exhausted. <laughs> that's, that's real. So for, you know, for our agency, we sell to enterprise clients. And so it's a little bit, we, we sell for marketing directors like a, a Medtronic or a Abbott Labs or whatever, right? Well, aren't, and, aren't you fancy? Yeah. Well, I, I, I can tell, you can tell by my couch that I am obviously, obviously put it together, but um, just how do you guys approach clients? Cause I, I don't, when we start going down market, you know, when you're like, okay, Hey, I like smaller companies more and I know how to sell to them less. How do you guys approach, uh, you know, this, this two to 20 million? Um, yeah. Um, uh, so uh, we approach it really selectively. So we really, we look at, we look at it from this perspective. Um, we're much more interested in people who fit what we know how to do really well, mm -hmm. which tends to be, you know, um, our agency works with a lot of skincare brands and, and some fashion brands and some cosmetic brands. So we know an awful lot 
about selling to women who are between 25 and 50. So that's a big plus for us. If there, if your target market is women 25 to 50, hooray, like we come at that with a bunch of data and we don't have, we don't have to learn as much. Yeah. Um, we also tend to focus on people who are direct to consumer or sell primarily their own brand simply because that's a place where we can do more experimentation than if someone's selling another brand where there's competitive pressures. So it's one thing to be, you know, to have category competition. There's another to have brand competition. Yeah. And so if somebody is selling other people's products, unless it's, unless it's with a healthy mix of their own products, that's not an awesome fit for us because we are really focused on doing all this sort of progressive, uh, the pro pro progressive messaging stuff, which, you know, if you're looking for a Samsung TV, you know, you're going to be reacting to sale, to promo rather than, oh, this is the right TV for my skin type, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That'd be a so, sweet offer if you can throw in TV plus skincare. I, I like where you're yeah, going. Yeah, no, I, I, and I think that's that's coming next. I mean, I think there's got to be some, <laughs> sort of, you know, set-top box that shoots out moisturizer on your yeah. Um, um Yeah, but so so we approach it really thinking about who fits what we're good at and where do we have an advantage? Yeah, no, that I think that's often like, if, if I was going to graph stages of an agency, right? The first stage is like, we try everything for everyone. And then something pops. So we're like good at something. And now then you're, you're like, well, I, I still want to do everything for everyone, but we just keep getting more of this thing and we're getting better at it. And then one day you realize I shouldn't do everything for everyone. I should do this thing really well. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, and so many early stage agency owners are like, oh, I've got to pick a niche. I've got to pick a niche. And they, they do it for all the wrong reasons. They think that you're going to pick a niche because you will become the go-to authority in your market. Yeah. And that's just not true. Like there is, you know, um, you know, WPP, I'm sure you've heard of them. They're the, uh, the oh, yeah, little, little agency. They're teeny tiny, you know, whatever, hundred billion dollar you know, little, little yeah, agency holding company, like what's their niche? <laughs> like they don't have one. Right. So, but the reason to pick a niche in the early stages and let's call it early stages when you're like less than a hundred employees. I would agree. Yeah. When you're less than a hundred employees, like the people like you're fitting the like the work around the people. It's not till you're bigger that you fit the people around the work. Yeah, good point. Right. So, so if you're a much bigger organization, so if you if you're working in a company that's like 500 people in it, you know, you, from a company perspective, you've got to fill up the edges of your job description as well as possible. For a smaller company. And by the way, all of those job descriptions are perfectly square. So they stack on top of each other and there's no holes. Yeah. Yep. In a smaller company, it's like a puzzle that you've got like 87% of the pieces, <laughs> right? And so you're like putting the pieces together. They don't really fit exactly, yep. but they're pretty close. So you're going to make do. And that's and so it, yeah. for a long time, you were trying to fit like, oh, this person can do that thing really well. 
they kind of suck at this other thing, but we'll, so yeah. we're going to twist them so that they fit here. Okay. If you really push the puzzle piece in, sometimes it goes, right? Like yeah, yeah, exactly. it'll fit sometimes exactly. and it's perfect. Yeah. Right. And the picture yeah. doesn't make any sense, you know, you know, in like right up close, but if you can move back far enough, I'm like, okay, yeah. it works. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and eventually as you get more people, you're like, you can reorganize. And, and I think the, the hardest thing for, for agency owners, because I'm sure you get these questions too, is they're, they're always like, well, what should my org chart look like? Or what should my team structure be? I'm like, I don't know. Like who's on your team? Yeah. You know, is there yeah. somebody who's really good at being empathetic and talking to clients and really organized and, you know, friendly and proactive? Like they should be in account management. Oh, you got somebody who's really good at, you know, at numbers and they don't like talking to people. Well, maybe they should be your data analyst. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. but really, but I, but I hired Joanne as the account manager. Like, well, Joanne sucks at that. Make her the, you know, the, the, you know, the analyst. Like, it's okay. Like you can just switch them around and you're going to find that people are happier where they're able to do better work. Yeah. Yeah. Even if it's I, not the job that they thought they were getting. I feel like yeah, this goes back. We were talking a little bit about it before the show, but there's this idea, like there's the perfect org chart out there. And you know, it, it's just, you just need to be handed it. And this is what every agency's org chart should be because it's the one like, yeah, Moses gave the 10 commandments and the org chart for a, a successful agency. Like those were yeah, the right. things that came down and it, I just, yeah, what's your experience with that? Because between your agency and coaching people, like what's your experience with the best practices or the like, this is how it should be done? Uh, yeah. Um, so uh, the definition of best practices is what everyone else is doing. That defines best practices. Um, and that means best in, in the in best there means easily understood. It doesn't mean right. It doesn't mean best for you. It doesn't mean yeah. terribly effective in your particular circumstance. Yeah. Um, and so, and so, you know, th this isn't, you know, thinking about it from a, a pure, you know, how could I make my coaching business bigger? I could say like, this is your structure and here it is. And you know, that would be easy. Right. Sure. But that's also wrong because, you know, if you are somebody who is terrible if you're if you're a CEO who's terrible at boundaries like you can't have like three levels of reports because you're going to break those boundaries all the time piss everybody off or if you're if you're a CEO who's like I want one person to talk to me and it's only on Tuesdays between 2 and 4 well you better have an awesome COO who's sitting right below you to like take up all the needs every day so 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 much of your org chart depends on what you can do well and what and what are the things that you can do well but don't want to do but can tolerate yeah and honestly i think you hit on something because you know, we experienced the same thing in agency hackers that people can scale a coaching business that sells false certainty or false hope it's, it's like why yeah uh, and it's it's an easier sale to be like i am certain i know what's going to work here's this guarantee that's really hard to redeem or whatever here's this thing's going to be the best for you right because because we want that hope but i feel like the reality is um it just take you got to try stuff out right and, it, and you gotta hopefully like i think as a coach you can probably approach it and say hey 
here's some things I've seen work. Here's an idea of something to test. And here's the framework, right? But you need to figure out what's going to work for you inside your framework. Yeah. So, so there's, so there's a, there's a big fat lie in the world of coaching, which is success leaves clues. Mm. Well, yeah, but that's their success, not yours. And so you can know what they did and you can use that as maybe an inspiration for something that you might do, but yeah. it doesn't mean that you should do what they do. As a matter of you see this all the time on, on LinkedIn um, where you get some, some sort of um, uh, early, early stage agency owner who's talking about the three amazing growth strategies that, uh, that Apple, Google, and Netflix have taken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so then they're like, you know, Google, like turn your service into a verb. Yeah. Yes, of yeah. course. Because that's what Google wrote down when they started. We will turn Google into a verb. And, uh, you know, what's that line? You know, uh, fetch isn't happening, Gretchen. Or stop yeah. trying to make fetch happen. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and so, though that's like that's that's survivor bias, right? Yeah, like that's, I was thinking that, that. That's the outcome of a magical series of events that you know that happened, or you know, like Apple, you've got to have clean design. Well, that just means that if you think that you know Apple's always been about clean design, you missed the entire shit show of you know the early '90s when you know when they had seven thousand different SKUs and computers, and yeah. you know Bill Gates had to loan Steve Jobs one hundred and fifty million dollars. Yeah, right? exactly. you missed all that part. Right? <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just it's just an uncomfortable thing to admit. Uh, it's freeing, but it's really uncomfortable to be like wow, nobody really knows what they're doing or what's going to work, right? Like everybody, it's, it's iterative, but no, you got, might have people have better ideas or a better framework to test out ideas, but nobody knows. Like, you know, Steve Jobs can't sit down and say, this product is going to work. I mean, not now, especially, but previously. Oh, yeah, because he's dead. That wakes yeah. up like, way, that's either way harder or way easier. I don't know. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Uh, but no, but you, you're, you're right. And, and actually, it's, it's not about... Um, so uh, I, I I said earlier that I uh, you know I jumped back into the I bought an agency because I thought my experience as an agency owner was getting a little bit dated. Well, as it turns out, it, it hasn't because the fundamental problems that you solve as a business are exactly the same, and they are. How do I show somebody with a problem that I have a solution that can help? Yeah. Right. And that's basically that, you know, that's one of it's one of like three big problems that that businesses face. So, the, you know, that one, you've been able to effectively show your solution. Number two, you've got to be able to effectively deliver it. And number three, you've got to be able to effectively convince people that working with you as their boss is not the worst thing ever, right? And if you can solve all three of those problems, you have got a great business. 
Now, the hard thing is most people are not really good at solving all three. You know, like I'm really good at, I'm really good at, at the, the front end of business on the marketing end and the sales end. You know, I'll be honest, like, and I'm pretty good on the recruiting end. Like the delivery part, that's not, it's never my jam. Yeah, I, I can relate. You know, like I, I like I like talking about what we can do rather than stuff that I that I can do because you know that requires you like if you if you're in the delivery part you got to have real skills. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and my skills are mostly limited to you know cocktail conversation and dad jokes. So you seem like you bring your A game to the dad jokes, though. I like oh, I like totally. your stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> this this is actually my, my, really good. I have five teenagers and they roll their eyes at me all the time. Nice. Those are life goals. I feel like Tim, you're, you're like my spirit animal because this is a lot of these things that I hope to do later on in life. So yeah, I just got married in January. So still working on the kids front, but hopefully I come from a family of six. Well, that's what you're telling your wife anyway. So that's fine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, we talk about the problems and kind of the abstract sense that it's, you dive in, you have a churn problem, you work on that. What's what's the way of, uh, or what's the problem you're working on right now? Where are you at in the triage? Like, I know that there's probably 50 of them. Yeah. So, so the, like the, the big thing, the big thing that we're working on right now at, at Ecom Allies is, is how do we want to, what do we want our client's experience to be? And, you know, for, a lot of agencies, it's just like, well, look at the report. It's all right there. It shows you exactly what's going on. And, and I think that's, that's fundamentally a losing proposition. Like hanging your hat on result sets is a losing proposition because it, it, it only allows you to be as good as your last report or as valued as your last report. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other side is the, you know, we're not really an agency. We're an extension or we're a team that's embedded with you. And that's actually a really kind of compelling idea, but it's harder because, uh, because you have to have very specific people that mesh with the, with the client in a particular way. And I, and, and I've found that to be that sort of consultative agency to be really challenging. And so we're trying to find somewhere in the middle where we've got somebody who can, has enough experience to be able to sort of look inside the client business and say, oh, I understand your business. I understand the things that are important to you. And if I look in our agency bag of tricks, here's the seven things that we're going to do right now. Here's how we're going to assess whether or not they're successful. And in 45 days, we're going to you know, kill that list to five. And then in 90 days, we're going to kill it to three. And then 120 days, we're going to bring back one of those ones that we threw out and try it again. And that's sort of much more where where I want to go, where we are sort of really thoughtful about our clients. We're not offering the same thing to everybody, but we are offering the same process of decision making to everybody. Mm, Yeah, I think that's critical with like the fulfillability, right? I don't know if that's a word, but it is now. It is now, yes. Otherwise, it takes you know, it takes Tim's brain or it takes the genius consultant's brain. But you're like, hey, we've got this set of processes we can take you through. We're going to start with these five. 
possible. Yeah. Is that right? Am I catching what you Yeah, and, and it's not necessarily the, the process, but it's sort of, um, you know, agreeing on definitions of success. Okay. Right. So can you give an example? I, I think I follow, but like you got to see here, Brian. Here's a perfect example. Um, we are working with a company right now. Great, great brand. They are a fantastic brand. You can find them in CVS all over the country. They're awesome. Um, for the past like decade, they have, because of their various agency engagements, they've been fed this idea that return on ad spend is the definition of success. And they were, they were a little bit shocked when I said, Hey, did you know that Google and Facebook do not calculate return on ad spend the same way? And they were like, I guess like we knew that, but we never really thought about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's real. And, and so, and so, so we are sort of in the process of, of saying, like, listen, we're throwing away all of the ways that you currently make decisions and you've got to trust us that we're going to work on this idea of, of uh, marketing efficiency ratio. And to tell you the truth, we don't care what channels we're in as long as revenue is growing faster than marketing expense. Hooray, hooray. And then when we get to a particular their, their particular metric where they know their business is healthy, then we're going to say, okay. Then we're going to optimize for the things that they want, which is the sales of particular categories or, you know, things that are not on sale or things that you can't get at CVS. Yeah. And so what we're going to do is we're going to, you know, we're re-solidifying the business, get it to start scaling. And then once we've got a good base, then we're going to adjust our definition of success and, and go through a bunch of other tactics. Yeah. But we have to get long-term buy-off on that saying, you know, the process isn't like we start doing stuff and suddenly you make more money. No, no, no. Like we're going to do stuff. We're going to solidify things, which is going to become dependable and predictable. And you're not going to have to rely on a sale to juice your return on ad spend because we're never thinking about that again. We're only thinking about how much did you spend and how much revenue was there. And then what we're going to do is when we're happy, we're going to start doing selective tests and we're going to look at your product throughput and say, did that positively impact the, the sales in these categories or sales at this price point? Yeah. And that's way more interesting to clients because it feels like you really understand their business in a deep way. And uh, one of the benefits of being old like me is I have worked with a bunch of different businesses. And so I know the concerns of a bunch you know, I understand the concerns of a bunch of different businesses. I've worked with financial services. I've worked with professional services. I've worked in retail. I've worked in e-commerce. You know, I've worked in insurance. You know, I've worked in furniture. I've worked in all of these different industries over the years. So I really understand, you know, what the fundamental pressures are on the other side. Yeah. And so even if I need to educate my account manager about those, that's fine. I'm happy to do that and grow their skill set. But once once we are really able to understand, then we are able to maximize our return on understanding, which is the key metric for any agency. The better you understand your clients, the better you are going to be able to serve them. Yeah. And that's that's really hard because that's not process. That's not here's your secret. Org chart, 
um, you know, that's not, here's my, you know, here's how you need to structure your campaigns. It's none of that stuff. This is about how effectively can you be empathetic and insightful about a business that is not your own. Yeah. And I think that it's, sometimes there's a natural outgrowth, like, oh, I worked in um, pharma, so now I do pharma marketing, right? Because I know the other side really well. Um, but I think for you, it's really cool that you've picked it up exteriorly, right? Like where you haven't worked in financial services yourself, but you've had clients in financial services and learned from. And that's, that's pretty powerful. So one question that I've run into with like, yeah, I think of, I think of life as a bunch of equations, right? And, um, and you're like, okay, you just, you, you don't have, maybe it will take like balancing a checkbook, right? I don't have to be perfect at it, but if I want to have any financial stability, I can't be like a zero at it. And you can earn a lot of money, but if you're terrible at managing money, then you're, yeah. you're not going to have any money. It's going to be bad. Yeah. And I think of, um, like, building an agency in similar ways, right? You, you don't have to be amazing at everything. Usually there's one thing you're really good at, a lot of things you're mediocre about, some things you're terrible, but you can't have any zeros. And one of the, the zeros that I always watch out for is like, when you understand a market really well, right? How do you effectively start conversations with them, right? So, so for skincare brands, some people go, I don't understand anything perfectly, but I'm good at all e-com. And so there's a lot more e-com stores. So we're going to reach out to everybody and we're just going to cold email them. And that's, that's going to be our thing. When you, when you guys like e-com allies, you say, we know this is who we help best between the skills we have and the interests we have and knowledge we have. How do you then say, all right, there's less skincare brands, but how do you start those conversations is always a sticking point for me. So it comes back to return on understanding, right? So the better I can understand you know, the, what's going on in the particular industry, I can essentially say, you know, Hey, skincare brand that, you know, uh, is struggling or, you know, has, you know, has yet to get a sort of retail distribution. Like what's the best way for you to get retail distribution? And somebody might say, you know, well, you got to go find a consultant who can go sell into target or whatever. No, I mean, you need one of those at some point, but no, it's about creating demand. Yeah. So if you want to get to, if, if you want to get to, you know, to be really big, like there aren't any shortcuts, you've just got to start like getting people excited about your brand. So when we are thinking about your marketing, yeah, you might be telling me like, I, like I, I need to be making, you know, $12 of a contribution on, on every front end sale. Right. You, you, like that's what you might think, but is that going to get you to where you want to go? And so that's where we have the conversation is saying, you know, this is what we know. Like you take, you, you get a brand, you know, you've got a product and you're selling it. Cool. And you're making a little bit of money. Great. Now we can either help you make a little bit of money and incrementally grow that over time, you know, and that's awesome. And that's the way a lot of people t- tend to go because it's less scary. But if you've got somebody with a lot of ambition and they're like, yeah, I want to be on the shelves of Target. Well, awesome. So we got to throw out the idea of, of you know, we got to throw out the idea of, of transactional profitability. And we got to be talking about share of voice. We got to talk about number of impressions. We got to be talking about reach. We've got to be talking about community. And, and so... 
And so understanding what the client wants and saying, hey, what you're asking for is getting you in that direction or not. And, and that's the real way to have those conversations. So it's really, it's being able to understand, you know, the multiple outcomes that are possible. So how do you start, how do you find the skincare brand to start that conversation with in the first place, right? Let's say you, you had 10 clients turn due to various reasons. How do you say, all right, account executive or all right, self, I don't know who does, that gets yeah. the conversation started, but yeah. do you do trade um, shows, interviews? Yeah, so, uh, like, you know what, this, like this, that's my elbow right there. I see um, some and grease, put, maybe. And, and I put some grease on it, you know? Yeah. And so it, it comes down to, uh, and actually, I'll tell you one thing that's really, it's really awesome. If you start visiting enough skincare websites, um, like the best part of prospect, like the Facebook is so good at helping you prospect because yeah. they will surface brands you've never heard of before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. you're like, oh, wait a minute. Like, that's cool. Like, yes. Like these people have it. Like I go look at that brand. I'm like, oh. I see where they fit in the marketplace because I, you know, you know, and I understand who you they're, they're right. And I'm like, okay, blam. Now we can go attack. If we decide that person's important enough, you know, there's some news or they got some funding or whatever we see that their ads are terrible. Then we can jump in and be like, bam, like, like, you know, you don't know us, but you probably know some of the brands we work with and let us tell you some of the problems we solved for them. Yeah. Yeah. And you do a lot of that through, I, I like for us, we do email calling, you know, there's nothing special, email calling, LinkedIn kind of stuff. Yeah. Is that similar uh, I never do, I never do calling because okay. um, a long, long time ago, um, back, uh, this, this was in the early nineties. Um, I worked for Bose, yeah. The, yeah, uh, which actually stands for better off somewhere else. Um, <laughs> uh, and I had to do a lot of cold calling. Uh, and I was, I was, and I actually, and I sat next to this guy who was awesome at cold calling and I would try to do what he did. And I'd be like, yeah, something. And, and he'd be like, Hey, this is Mark. Uh, we'd really like to talk to you about, you know, and, and he was just so cool. Yeah, and, I yeah. couldn't do it. and so even now, if I have to, if I have, if you said like cold call somebody, I, you know, just right now, like I'm getting like prickly sweat just thinking about it. Because yeah. deep like, breaths, it's, deep breaths. Yeah, yeah. forget I said it. Forget I even said those words. And we're yeah. using Zencaster. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. And I mean, the beautiful thing about it, I ask only because it goes back to that like magic bullet thing, right? When when I think when people talk to us about our prospecting or something, and they're like, what What do you guys do? How do you How do you talk to those people? Right? How did you, Tim, talk to this brand in that's in CVS? Like, why? I don't know. Generally, I emailed them or I like. Yeah, I emailed them. them or, or... You know, and uh, and we also do some work with some CPG brands because they also sell to moms. Yeah. The women 25 to 50. Yep. Um, um, you know, and there, uh, you know, we, we stumbled into, uh, you know, through emailing, we stumbled into an accelerator. Um, yeah. that's, that's growing CPG brands. And so now we work with a couple of those, um, you know, we also work and we've talked to multiple private equity companies that's, uh, you know, that buy skincare or healthcare brands, uh, or CPG brands. And so now we've got some relationships with yeah, them. Yeah, that's super you know, And it's just sort of, it just sort of, you know, by pushing yourself into the space, 
and being open to conversations and, and also not being shy about asking, you know, Hey, I know like this wasn't a fit for us. Like if you were me, who would you call? You know, who yeah. would you reach out to? Right. And, yeah, and definitely. most people like, are like, they either say like, I don't know. And that's because they really don't know. Or they're like, you know what? I'm going to introduce you to Larry. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I really like the, uh, it's, it's like, I, I don't know what I would call, but it's like the anti-sexy podcast right now because uh, it didn't sound, you didn't give us five tips that were guaranteed to open doors at prospects. Yeah. Unlock the key to every prospect's problem, heart, whatever. No, well, and, here, well, here are a couple. Um, number one, if you're sending uh, a cold email, never use the word bro or dude. <laughs> Good advice. Uh, make sure that you have spelled everything correctly. Also good advice. And also make sure that the email is about them and not you. Yeah, I I like the. I really appreciate your um, like down to earth. Like, hey, we just do the work, right? There's no magic bullet. It sounds like in all your agencies, you're like, we just do the work. Right. Yeah. That's awful. It's like, there's no magic. It's so yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. and I actually, I, so just this morning on, on office hours with my clients, um, uh, one of my clients said, well, now that I like, now that I know how to do this, like, I'm just going to hire five VAs and I'm going to have them blow up our cold email. And I was like, eh, don't do that. It's like, well, why not? Like if, if I, like I can only send out like a hundred a week. And if I hired five VAs, we could send out like 500 a day. I'm like, yeah, but you know, if reaching out to a contact doesn't cost you something in terms of effort or insight, it's not going to be worth anything on the other end. Mm. Yeah, that's fair. I think there's, there's just always a price, right? To... I think any, like it, it go back, I was thinking about the nature of hard work and, and I don't work hard, right? I, I, I was renting. Neither do I. I. I like, I type on a keyboard that a 10 year old walked in. She's like, you know, my dad, he types on a keyboard and he talks on the phone. You basically just type on your keyboard. And I thought about it and I was like, she's totally right. Basically I just type on the keyboard. I don't do anything hard, right? When we talk about hustle or hard work, like I don't know. I did roofing in college. Like that was pretty hard. I respect those guys a lot. Not that I don't respect agents, but, but it's not, it's not yeah, hard. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Uh, yeah. I had, so my first job out of college, I was a high school teacher. Oh, wow. And that was an awesome job though. I mean, I loved, I loved teaching. I hated being a teacher. Yeah, that's fair. Um, um, but you know, the, my immediate job before that, I worked on a destruction crew and we were taking apart a sewage treatment plant so I spent the summer before teaching with, um, quite honestly, wearing a Tyvek suit up to sewage, up to my, up to my chest, you know, like cutting things and breaking things. And I like, I would come home and I'd just be disgusting. And that was hard. Yeah. That was really hard work. Yeah. And I heard teachers talking about how difficult their job was. And yes, their job is enormously difficult. And it's challenging in all sorts of ways, but it's not just like, it's just not work. That's just hard. Like, yeah. There's a reward to it as well. 
Yeah. And so, you know, there's hard work, like construction workers, they do, they work really hard and they actually don't get very much back from it, right? They get a paycheck. You know, if you're a teacher, your work is very hard, but you get some sort of emotional feedback along with your paycheck. Um, and agency owners think like they've, they're working hard. They aren't working hard. What they're looking to do is to get all the goodies, like all of the bits of success. Yeah without working hard. And that's not all agency owners, but that is, that is, that is very much sort of the mindset. Like, well, if I just knew how to like, if, well, if I just use a, an AI appointment setter, yeah, you know, it is. Problem solved. You know then, then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to be, you know, on, on, uh, on a yacht. Yeah. I think that it, what I, I feel like we've, because we've all been there, right? Like I've looked for the shiny object. It's hard not to. I have to write my list of things I'm not going to do. Like, nope, I'm not going to switch to that. Nope, I'm not going to switch to that. Nope, I'm not changing that. No, that, that's actually, that's a, that, so I, I always think about the things that I'm going to do, but I never think about the things that I should continue to do. Oh man. Yeah, that's, that's a tough that's, one that's too. A, that's a great, that's a great, that's a, that's a great approach because this morning, every morning, and now it takes me like four minutes. So let's like this, because uh, like I am not like I've got my two hour morning ritual. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know when there's like in the first thing in the morning, I write down like the five things I cannot forget to do today. But I take like thirty seconds and write down my my big goals. And they're they're really they're, they're really simple. Like my dream is to retire on the island of Nantucket. I know the oh, house that, that that like I, that's I know the house I want to live in because um, I saw it like 10 years ago and I fell in love with it. And, you know, you know, now suffice it to say, I'm about $20 million short. <laughs> hey, or whatever. Yeah. Hey, you know, you, like you I'm either going to buy it or I'm going to rent it for the summer of something. Right. But yeah. Yeah, that's what, so, so it, like number one on the list is Nantucket. Number two is make my wife happy because she's the most amazing person I've ever met. And she has helped me raise these five amazing children and she deserves everything. And so making my wife happy is number two on my list. And that's also Nantucket. That's because that will make her happy too. And that's just a tangible thing. Nice. Uh, you know, and number three is, is my kids should be happy. And those are the three things that I think about every day. So is there, is there stuff that I'm doing that is going to help me hit those goals? And so if I work all the time, if, you know, if I hustle from 6 a.m. to midnight, is that going to make my kids happy? No, because I love hanging out with my kids and like doing like watching Family Guy with my 13 year olds. Like that is like we have 13 year old twins. Like that's awesome. I love that. We were doing that last night and it was just, you know, it was time just well spent. Yeah, it was just awesome. We like we didn't say anything to each other, but they were both snuggled up with me, and we were laughing at Peter Griffin because that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, and I think that having like that some North Star goals, and also just like, being okay with some of the uncertainty, right? Because our hard work isn't physically hard. I think it's like, when I talk to other agency owners, what I see is it's dealing with uncertainty, right? I mean, it's like, all right, I don't know how to fix this problem. There's no magic bullet. I'm trying stuff. It might work. It might not. That seems like the hard work of the job. I can't yeah. come up with a lot of other stuff. You know, and, yeah. and I think, yeah, I think, you know, one of, one of the, one of the ways to really think about this is 
Oh, I think Bill Gates said something like people often, and I don't know if this was original to him, but you know, people often estimate, you know, they overestimate what can happen in one year and they underestimate what can happen in a decade. Jeff Bezos. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah. So uh, I knew some rich guy, super rich, you know, yeah. some rich white guy. That's, you know, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, but, and so, so many people are sucked in by the, like, this isn't hard. You just have to do these things and it's all going to work. But typically those people who've had the like overnight success, it's because they spent the nine years beforehand, like fixing 1% or, you know, the way that I think about it is, is, and as I'm doing a training on this for my clients tomorrow, uh, we're, we're calling it the, uh, uh, pirate optimization. Okay. It's it's sort of like the, I don't know if you've ever heard of the pirate funnel, um, you know, uh, uh, awareness, um, I forget what it is, but basically it's, it's, it's this thing in SAS where, where you put the, the, the stages of engagement and it spells out R and so they got it, it, got it, got it. And, and so, and, but basically the idea in the pirate funnel is that like, it's not a whole funnel. It's like, you don't have to optimize the whole thing. You just pay attention to one bit at a time. Yeah. So, and so I think about it this way for agency owners, you know, there's, there's three things really that you were actually four things that you, that you can focus on as an agency owner. There's the front end sales and marketing. There's the, the delivery part. There's the back end, which is management and recruiting. And then there's client retention. And so there's only four things you got to think about now. Each one of those things has like 50 moving or 100 moving pieces in it. But so you can't fix client retention all at once. Right. But you can think, okay, you know what I'm going to do for the next two weeks? I'm thinking about client retention. How can I pick one thing and make it 10% better? Yeah. Great. You do that. And then you're like, oh, and then I, uh, it didn't take me two weeks. So I'm going to pick another thing and I'm going to make it 10% better. And, you know, eventually you've got, you know, like your, 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 you know, your customer retention is 50% better than it was before. Just because you thought like, okay, I'm just going to fix this one thing a little bit, you know, pick out something I can do. And, you know, eventually, you know, you, uh, it's just like, uh, you know, how do you build a better process the same way that you eat an elephant, you know, one bite at a time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so uh, exciting to talk about. I think this is like what, what I, envisioned when we started the podcast, right? Of the, hey, nitty gritty, not, nobody's got the hacks, nobody's got the, I guess our name is Agency Hacker, but you know, the, nobody's got some perfect system. It's just like chopping away, right? It's, yeah. it's going up, it's more brick by brick. So, but Tim, this has been a wonderful conversation. If people want to yeah, find I'm out- I'm glad we were right on time. Like this was- Yeah, like, oh yeah. yeah. I, right, right my on half time. hour ones are, they just, I just nail it every time conscientious <laughs> what uh what's the best way if people want to find out more about you know, tim Kilroy's consulting coaching yeah, so, or uh, ecom yeah. allies or yeah. yeah so uh so uh very cleverly named domain timkilroy.com um you know took me a long time to come up with that one many many marketing consultants and focus groups <laughs> um, but it, it's timkilroy.com uh and ecom allies is just like it sounds ecom allies IES at the end, um, .com, and you can find out uh, about either growing your agency or finding a great agency to grow your business. Nice. 
Hey, well, thanks so much for coming on. Had a lot of fun and uh, can't wait to hear your next business that you sell or the roll-ups that you start doing or whatever. It's, yeah, it's I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, I think we're going like, to we're, we're do something exciting like laundromat. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> car washes, car washes, man. All right, yeah, Tim, uh, thanks not, for coming on. Money laundering like Breaking Bad, but. <laughs> what a fun show. All the best, Tim. All right, take care. It's nice to meet you. Thanks.